Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, we bring clarity to the chaos with a world prophetic update. But first, author and conference speaker Micah Van Hus is here to look at ancient cities and the gods who built them. Our next in-person event will take place June 24th and 25th in Anchorage, Alaska. Billy Crone headlines this special two-day event at the Anchorage Baptist Temple. You're invited to join us in radio station KATB for these two days of insight and encouragement. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or by simply visiting our website, swrc.com and click on events. This summer, we have a very special online event, our Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference. Ten different speakers, all online and all on demand. Watch when you want, as often as you want. From July 15th through the 24th, you'll have complete access to special sessions by Michael Hoggard, Kamal Salim, Micah Van Hus, J.R. Church, Rob Linstead, Larry Spargimino, Noah Hutchings, Doc Marquis, Ambassador Henry Cooper, and Eric Barger. Register today for the Summer Virtual Prophecy Conference by visiting the events section of our website, swrc.com, or by simply calling 1-800-652-1144. Our host, Larry Spargimino, welcomes Micah Van Hus to the program now as they examine the days of Noah, the Nephilim, and the demonic construction of ancient cities. People seem to have an inner urge to live in cities. Cities have been built since the most ancient of times. In Genesis 4, verse 17, we read, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he builded a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. We're visiting with Micah Van Hus, who is the author of Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. Thank you, Micah, for being on the show with us. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for having me. I think one of the questions, I know when I looked at the title of your book and the front cover is awesome, I think, but the question that came to my mind is what got you interested in ancient cities and please tell us about the agencies of the gods in building them. My brother Clayton, many years ago, a couple decades ago, he pointed out to me something that we, that I was not taught in Sunday school, and that was Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, which talks about the reason that God chooses Noah to survive the flood. Now, in Sunday school growing up, I had always been taught that God chose Noah because he was a righteous man, and it is true. Genesis 6 says that Noah is righteous. But if you look at verses 8 and 9, it says, Noah was perfect in his generations. And if you read the verses before, where it talks about the Beneha Elohim, or the watchers, the angels, who sleep with women and have offspring with them, giants, mighty men of old, men of renown, that's only four verses before it says, and Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. In other words, Noah's bloodline, in my opinion, had not been tainted by that of the Beneha Elohim or their offspring, the Nephilim. And so I do believe that's why Noah was chosen. You know, when you get into the Nephilim in Genesis 6, 4 and related, I just see all kinds of things in this, like you do. Now, I know a lot of people poo-poo and so forth. I think there's the ancient understanding, and of course, the Septuagint, very ancient, translated the sons of God as angels. And that's what we believe, fallen angels, demonic angels. 
when I look at this passage, I think, wow, a flood. Okay, now there were a lot of times when godly people married ungodly people, mixed spiritual marriages. It even happens today, okay? But God didn't destroy the world by a flood. This must have been very, very evil, like genetic manipulation. And when I look at some of the things that's being done in the scientific laboratory today, a lot of this involves cloning. And I know in China, they've done some things that we would not permit in this country because they have no rules. We have, we, we don't have many rules, but do you think that this whole story of the giants, and I believe that there were giants and that there were later eruptions of giants, do you think that perhaps this is a taste of what the earth will see in the end times? And we're in the end times now. What are your thoughts on that, Micah? Genesis chapter 6 says that God's creation had become corrupt. Genesis 6 does not go into too much detail about what the Watchers and their offspring, the Nephilim, were doing, but the Book of Enoch does. I do not believe the Book of Enoch is inspired. I believe that the 66 books that we have are the inspired Word of God. I do believe that the Book of Enoch is correct history after having studied it and read a number of books and spent a lot of time studying it. But the Book of Enoch expounds on what the corrupt creation, what the Nephilim were doing to God's creation. They taught humans all kinds of forbidden knowledge from metal mixing to astronomy, astrology, and mixing of herbs, alchemy, even abortion. The only time I can find in the Bible that the Bible talks about what the angels taught to mankind is Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. It says the man is measuring heaven in John's vision. And the man measures the walls, 144 cubits, the measurement of a man that is of the angels. So if you read Revelation 21, 17, it basically says that the angels taught the cubit to mankind. That's the only reference in the Bible I can find to what the book of Enoch is talking about on that point. What I like to do is, since I believe the Bible is inspired, I take it as foundation as solid, and then I use ancient artifacts, ancient cities, ancient studies, legends, books to try to fill in the blanks that are there. So let's try to do that with the Bible and the Book of Enoch. So the Watchers descended, had giants offspring with human women. And then in the Book of Enoch, what happens is in the Bible, God sends the flood. In the Book of Enoch, the flood has happened. God tells his archangels to go down to the earth. The bodies of the Nephilim are dead, but their spirits are walking around. So he says, bind them and cast them into the abyss, Tartarus, for 70 generations until the great day of judgment. Well, let's bring it full circle back to the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus dies on the cross. He's in the ground for three days. It says he is in his spirit form in 1 Peter chapter 3. The first thing that Jesus does when his body is dead is he goes into the abyss and ministers to the spirits that made troubles in the days of Noah. Goes into the prison in the abyss. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 also says, The angels which kept not their first estate, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. So that, to me, is a full circle from the Bible and the book of Enoch filling in some of those blanks, and it's fascinating to study. Now, when we get to talking about today's genetic modification and how can the Nephilim, is, are they going to be coming back? Well, first of all, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the day of the Son of Man. Genesis says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. The book of Enoch says something very fascinating in the first three verses of the entire book. It says, in so many words, it says, you're not going to understand what you read in this book. This book is for the last generation, the generation of the tribulation. Now, does that mean God has closed everybody's eyes when they read? Or does that mean that some of the things that are going on in the book of Enoch 
the last generation sees in their own eyes, and so they understand the Book of Enoch. Another thing, after mankind could no longer sustain the giants in the Book of Enoch, then the giants began to eat man and drink his blood and sin against the animals. I do believe that that was most likely genetic modification, modifying human DNA, animal DNA, modifying God's creation and corrupting it. If you look at the ancient Egyptian gods, what are they? They're half human, half animals. If you look at the ancient Greek gods, they're superhumans, humans with superpowers. It's fascinating to think how that all fills in the blanks. On the end times, the image of the Antichrist, he stands in the book of Revelation. He stands in the temple. He knows. He's intelligent. He knows who is worshiping truly the Antichrist and who isn't. He doesn't appear to have a soul. Is that some sort of clone, some sort of genetic modification? We've got articles from all kinds of news sources, Yahoo, Fox News, videos, about the genetic modification that China has done with human and monkey embryos. And, of course, if that makes it to the news, what is not making it to the news? It doesn't necessarily have to be China. It could be even us. I think this is fascinating. First of all, about the book of Enoch, you and I know of maybe know personally Dr. Michael Heiser, and he talks a lot about the book of Enoch. And the first time I interviewed him, I said, well, do you believe that this should be canonic? And he said, absolutely not. So I know because every once in a while, well, are you saying the Apocrypha should be in the Bible? And no, we don't hold to that. However, Dr. Heiser did point out that the apostles, you know, early Christians were familiar with it. And there's so many amazing parallels between the Bible, Genesis 6 and other passages, and the book of Enoch, I believe, First Enoch chapter 6, if I'm not mistaken, that this is significant because even when we're talking, we're talking about current events. We know what's going on in our world. And so the apostles and the early Christians knew what was going on in their world and especially in what they considered sacred literature. Now, just because they quote from Enoch doesn't mean that they're saying that the whole book should be in the Bible, but what they quote is they've been led by the Holy Spirit of inspiration. That part that they quote is true and invalid. And then you also pointed out about connecting the dots. I'm fascinated with connecting the dots. You know, I believe that as we get closer and closer to the end, and I'm not the only one, probably you believe as well, we're going to start to understand the book of Revelation and other eschatological speeches and issues much more clearly simply because, oh, that's what it means, you know? It's kind of like so much of what's in the book of Revelation 200 years ago had to be allegorized. But now when it says that the two witnesses will be visible to the whole world in the streets of Jerusalem— we can see that now. Do you ever hear of CNN or whatever, satellite TV? So I think the work that you're doing is very, very important. Mike, I think you're right. You have a passion for opening up these things because, like I say, we are in the last days, probably the very end of the last days. And I think the more we understand things like this and connect the dots based on the information that we have we will be able to respond much more accurately and in a way that glorifies our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you just mentioned about the knowledge of the authors from 2,000 years ago, how they said that the whole world would watch these two prophets get stoned to death. You know, 2,000 years ago, you know, people are like, oh, I guess the whole world will be in Jerusalem. They'll be watching it. No, we know what that means through the internet, through television. There's other fascinating things in the book of Revelation. One of the beasts is described as having a human head, a grasshopper body, a scorpion tail, and the wing, the uh, sound of its wings was as a thousand chariots. Well, that to me sounds a whole lot like a helicopter with the pilot's head, the grasshopper 
proper body of the scorpion tail and the wings being as a thousand rushing chariots. Uh, there's all kinds of things that were written about thousands of years ago that these authors, just their human minds alone, would not have conceived, but God knew what he was doing. Backing up just a second, you talked about the Book of Enoch. Should it be canon? Should it not? No, I don't think it should be. Again, I don't take it as inspired. Christ is the central point of the Bible. Christ is the central point of history, and we do have what we need to have to know Christ as our personal Savior. So we don't need to lose sight of that fact. Now, I would much rather study the mysteries of the Bible than go talk about the latest football game. I think if God chose to put it in his word, which these giants, these watchers, are in God's word, I think it's an awesome study and a worthy study if God chose to put it in his word. There are other points in the Bible where watchers are mentioned. Daniel chapter 4 mentions it three times in Daniel chapter 4 about a watcher from heaven along with the holy ones. And you mentioned Dr. Michael Heiser. I have recently discovered Dr. Michael Heiser, and I've, I've been fascinated with his studies. And one of his studies that I really, really sounded interesting to me, so I've started to study a little bit more, is Job chapter 2. There's a couple things in Job chapter 2 that are very pertinent to what we're talking about. First of all, it's the watcher that's in Job chapter 2, in my opinion. Also, the fact that the B'nai Elohim are in heaven, meeting with God. So a lot of folks will say, well, the Bnei Elohim are just the godly sons of Seth that come into the daughters of men and have children and have giants. That doesn't explain the giants. But in Job chapter 2, the Bnei Elohim meet with God in heaven, and Satan walks among them from the stories we've been told. So Dr. Michael Heiser pointed out that Satan here is probably not who we know as Satan. It's probably an angel with the title of the Shaitan. There are a few instances in the Bible where there's one where King David is called they translate it to adversary, but it's the same word, Shaitan. The Philistines call David the Shaitan. The angel of the Lord is called the Shaitan, I think, in the book of Numbers, but in the Old Testament. The Shaitan is an adversary, someone who stands in the way of. That's why we call the devil Satan. But in numerous places in the Bible, it's not Satan. It's just an adversary. So I think that Job chapter 2, this is probably an angel who stands in the way. He is a Shaitan, and he is a watcher, in my opinion. He's a watcher that is set to the earth for a number of different things, but one of the things is to accuse rich people. Job was a very wealthy man. Maybe not accuse or maybe just test to see if God is truly their God rather than their wealth. So I would say if you are a wealthy person today, be careful. There might just be a watcher, a shaitan, who has been assigned to make sure that your love is still with God and with your wealth. So a fascinating study, and it's been fun to do. Well, friends, I want to point out that there are already four episodes of this book on one DVD. We are planning more, but the four episodes on one DVD are available. So you've got the book and you've also got the DVD. Lots of fascinating material. We're going to be talking about some more fascinating material. For example, let's get into the matter of Atlantis. Micah, contrary to widespread belief, the story of Atlantis is not a Greek story, but an Egyptian one. Today, the only record we have of Atlantis we find in the Critias and Timaeus by Plato. Plato heard of this story from his uncle Critias, who heard it from his grandfather, Critias, who heard it from his father, Dropides, who heard it from his friend, Solon who heard it from an Egyptian priest. Wow, I never knew that. I knew something about Atlantis. Tell us about the significance of this, because I think it is very significant. It's talking about something in the ancient world that was well-known and very widespread. So at the time Plato heard of the city of Atlantis, the destruction of Atlantis was 9,000 years old by then. And again, it was passed down, 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 all the way from Sanchez of Sia, an Egyptian priest who found it on inscriptions. So it's sort of like 
maybe 9,000 years from now, someone finds a VHS copy of Star Wars and says, holy cow, they really blew up a planet back then. Or if they watch the Disney version, they'd say, man, they really made bad movies back then. So it is an Egyptian story. There are archaeologists who have said they have found the inscriptions in Egypt at Edfu on a tomb. That's not confirmed, but it's fascinating. They could be. Some of the interesting parts of it is, first of all, let's say that the way this story starts out is that the gods divided the world among themselves. And that is one of the few parallels we have from the Bible to the story of Atlantis. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, you'll notice that after the Tower of Babel, God confounds the language, and he, according to Deuteronomy 32, 8, he divides the world into 70 nations. He chooses Israel for himself at that point, Abram. And in my opinion, he gives the other 69 nations to the Beneha Elohim. King James doesn't say who he gave it to. He just says he gave it according to the number of the children of Israel. 70 is the number of Jacob's household that went to see Joseph in Egypt. The Greek Septuagint says that God gave the nations, the other six nine, to the Agalanthia, which is the angels of God. And the Dead Sea Scrolls say that God gave the other six nine nations to the Beneha Elohim, which are the angelic sons of God. That's a fascinating parallel from Atlantis. The only other parallel with Atlantis is the destruction, possibly a global flood. The time frame of it matches with the younger, driest climate catastrophe, which I do not believe the scientific explanation for the time, which was 11,600 years ago. The timeline I agree with is probably more along the lines of the Greek Septuagint of roughly a 7,500-year Earth. But Atlantis was destroyed with water, contrary to popular belief. I think it was a Disney movie that made the idea of Atlantis being underwater. I think actually the Atlantis is the reshot structure. I think it's the destroyed city of Atlantis in the northwestern Sahara Desert. Now, I cannot describe and do it justice, the reshot structure. So if you Google, if you're listening and you Google the eye of the Sahara or the reshot structure and zoom in on it, you'll see this amazing structure that fits Plato's description of the city of Atlantis extremely well, not to mention Herodotus drew a map in 430 BC that has the word Atlantis in the northwest section of Africa. Also, Atlas was Poseidon's first son, set of twins. Atlas was the first king of Atlantis, and the reshot structure is in the Atlas Mountains. So take a look at that. It's fascinating stuff. Yes. We want to get to that, but before we directly leave this chapter on Atlantis, you say that the citizens of Atlantis were... According to the story by Plato, God and human hybrids. Poseidon, as you mentioned, was a god, and his wife, Clito, was a mortal woman. So here again, well, you point out it's synonymous with the story we find in Genesis chapter 6 and in the book of Enoch. So this whole idea, it's kind of like the ancient world and all of the creation stories. There are many parallels with Genesis. Now, they're probably polytheistic, not monotheistic. But the fact is that there's some kind of a basic root to these things, and we would have to be going against logic to say, I don't believe any of it. Absolutely. And these numbers are coming from the back of my brain from a few years ago. But there are over 680 ancient cultures. We're talking about the story of Atlantis. We're talking about the Celtic culture. We're talking about stories from around the world. Over 680 of those cultures say that the earth was destroyed by a flood. 270, some of those say, the reason for that flood was that the one god had become angry with the many gods. It's just intertwined in the earth's history, outside of the Bible even. It's just intertwined in everything. So to just dismiss it, I think, is unwise. 
because so much of our history and culture point to that. Micah, thank you so much for your research. We have another program coming up. Are you available to do a second program? I am, Pastor Larry. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we've got to get to the Reshat structure. I think we were just speaking about it. You've got a picture of it in the book. I am fascinated with two things about your book. It's very easy to read. You don't have to be an archaeologist or anything of the sort or a scientist, but it's jam-packed with information, historical as well as biblical. Michael will continue his look at the mysteries of ancient cities next time. Who were the Nephilim? What really happened at the Tower of Babel? Where is Atlantis? Who are the Shining Ones? And are these questions relevant to our walk with God and our understanding of His creation? Find out in Micah Van Huss's brand new book, Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them. This book delves into the topics that are not mentioned in most churches, but are mentioned throughout Scripture. Order Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Now, we turn our attention to world events in light of the prophetic scriptures. To help us, here is Avi Lipkin and Pastor Larry. One thing that I think is happening is we are seeing the globe against Russia. And we have the Trump revolution. It's called Trump, Putin, and Netanyahu. They were nationalists. They want national sovereignty. And Trump, Putin, and Netanyahu are the bad guys now. Yes, also Xi Jinping of China. Yes. He is not a religious Chinese. He's an atheist, but he's a nationalist. So, And he is not part of the globalist one world government. Yeah, as a matter of fact, Jinping is an atheist, but Mr. Putin says he's a Russian Orthodox. I don't see how they'll ever get together. Because they are against the West. Against us, yes. So I see what's going on now being a tremendous push for globalism. We can't have nation-states with nuclear weapons with one crazy leader who's going to declare war, use chemical weapons. So do you think this is really pushing the globalist curtain to envelop the world? You know, I say like this. The Russians have nuclear weapons. The Russians do not think like uh, democratic people. They have been authoritarian since day one a thousand years ago. And human life means nothing to the Russian leadership. I don't mean the Russian people. I mean, the Russian people are fleeing for their lives from Russia. So the Russian population is actually decreasing because what do people want? People want to live well. And why did the Ukrainians go after the Europeans and not rejoin Russia? Because firstly, they have a very bad history with Russia. But secondly, they want to live decent lives like they do in the West or in America. And so that's one of the reasons why Ukrainians are just dying to come to America or to go into the European nations just to get away from the Russians. I think that what really scares Putin the most is that the Ukrainians are going to instill democracy in the hearts of the Russian people. And many Russians also, they've intermarried with Ukrainians and they say, why are we attacking the Ukraine? It doesn't make any sense. But democracies never go to war with each other. The people who go to war are totalitarian dictatorships which hate democracies, because democracies are a threat to the dictators. I'm a little amazed at how well the Ukrainians are doing against the Russian military. In fact, the Russian military, they seem to be just messing up left and right. Some of them are defecting. Some of them have actually 
said that they thought they were just going for a training exercise. They weren't going to a war. So the morale seems bad. There was one Ukrainian tank, I was reading about it this morning, that blew up nine or ten Russian tanks. They're losing badly. What's going on? Is Russia falling apart? And is Putin, does he have thyroid cancer? I heard that more and more times. In fact, he's had one doctor that's followed him around almost every day. Right. We're really getting suspicious. So maybe he's trying to redeem himself by being a good Russian and a good Russian Orthodox. There is no doubt that Putin wishes to leave a legacy of reuniting the Ukraine with Russia. The problem is, if he succeeds, God forbid, in reuniting Ukraine and Russia, it'll be a Ukraine without population. Some Russian officer was saying, hey, they're these Ukrainians, they're shooting from the windows. So what the general answered him, okay, so there won't be any more windows in the Ukraine, which means scorched earth policy. You know the story of Putin's mom that she- No, I don't. Tell us. They were living in Leningrad, which is today St. Petersburg. She was given up for dead. And her body was thrown onto a mound with other bodies. This is before Putin was born, you know. They were newlyweds. Putin's dad comes home, and he knew that his block had been bombed by the Nazis. They said, well, yeah, here's a mound of all the bodies of the people lived in those buildings. He didn't see his wife. He saw her shoe. He pulled the body out, and it was his wife. And she was still breathing. So he picked her up, took her to the hospital. They revived her. And she lived. And then Vladimir Putin was born. So Vladimir Putin has a very strong anger against Nazis. The moment you project the Nazism onto the Ukrainians, many of whom were Nazis in World War II. So this is a hatred that goes to the grave. Putin does not like the Ukrainians. And he's just bombed the heck out of everything there to restore Ukraine to Russian sovereignty. President Biden I think in order to avoid American soldiers going to war, which is what the vast majority of Americans prefer, is basically waiting for Russia to be degraded militarily by the more successful Ukrainians, be degraded economically. And perhaps, I predict, we will even see another like Soviet revolution against Putin because he's like the czar. They've lost already 17,000 Russian soldiers. And most Russian families have one child per family, so that's 17,000 mothers and fathers. So I think that when a mother and father, they lose their only child, they say, we're ready to sacrifice our lives in demonstrations. And demonstrations, we don't hear about them, but they're getting bigger and bigger in Russia every day, bigger and bigger demonstrations. And I think at some stage, and I've received reports about this, that there are indeed people in the elite in Russia who are saying, enough is enough, we have to get rid of Putin. They're tired of it. Now, I wanted to mention one more thing about Israel. Yeah. I'm scheduled to take a Southwest Radio Church group to Israel in November. How are things going? Now, they've opened up, and they're not requiring the vaccine or vaccination. Correct. Correct. You have to have either the PCR test or the antigen test. Okay. But my son Aaron is part of an archaeological team that discovered a little piece of lead, two centimeters by two centimeters, and it has the earliest Hebrew writing on it from about 3,200 years ago at the altar of Joshua. So it proves that Joshua stood at that altar and he announced the blessings and the curses to the six tribes and the six tribes. There are many people who are supposedly Christian or Jewish, but they're atheists. And they say, hey, we don't believe in God. All the Bible's fairy tales. And my son and archaeologist Scott Stripling and, of course, Adam Zartal, 
rest in peace, have proven that Joshua indeed did exist. If Joshua existed, Moses existed. There are people who say that King David, King Saul, King Solomon didn't exist either. And so this has also been proven because of the archaeology at Shiloh. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really did exist. This was proven at the archaeology sites in Bethel. So it's very, very important when you guys come to Israel, you need to go to those places. I'm so glad you brought that up because Israel is a special place. The great acts of redemption have occurred in history in Israel. And all this archaeological information is proving that. Proving the veracity of the Bible. Yeah, that's amazing. So, friends, go to our website. You'll see where we're going, the places we're stopping, the cost, and all of that. We have it all set up, and I'm glad that the Holy Land is open to American tourists who are Christians. I think we're the greatest friends of the Jewish state. Why? Because we believe in the promises of God, and God made some unconditional promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Avi, thank you so much for being with us. Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them book and DVD by Micah Van Huss is available to order today when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. More Marginal Mysteries will be unveiled tomorrow with Micah Van Huss. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.